Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Starting chapter 18. Until now, the Alter Rebbe explained that to do Torah mitzvahs is something that's near and dear to each and every Jew. It's something that's near to each and every Jew. And he explained because every single Jew has the ability to you're in charge of your own mind and you can choose to meditate, to learn, to study, to be aware, to meditate and reflect and understand godliness. And that will lead you to love, to develop a love for Hashem. And he said, even someone who doesn't have the ability, the capacity to develop a fiery love for Hashem, but you could develop a cold love. But at least you can develop some sort of inner awareness, some sort of inner sense of godliness, that this is something that I ought to do. I don't feel it, I should feel it. And it bothers you that you don't feel it, because you ought to feel it, because it's, it's the truth. So you can develop an intellectual appreciation for the truth and at least a feeling, an inner sense for, for the right feeling, even though you don't actually feel anything. And then that's enough to, to allow the nature that Hashem gave in each and every one of us, the innate ability that we have, mind over matter. The mind controls the heart. And that gives the Jew, the benini, the ability, each and every Jew, to overcome Overcome his nature, rise above his nature, check your impulse, check your instinct, and do the right thing. And lead a Jewish life consistently, day in, day out, think, always thinking like a Jew, always speaking like a Jew, and always acting like a Jew. And then he even concluded in the last chapter that even the Jew, who is the exception, who's not capable of controlling his heart, because he's a Russia, a Jew who has made terrible choices and therefore, as a punishment, he lost his ability. God took away from him his natural ability to control himself. He became an addict. He's out of control. Even that Jew could do teshuva. By having a broken heart, you break through the arrogance and the shell. And therefore that Jew can also could change and could once again um, get in touch with that ability of mind over matter, controlling yourself and leading a, Jew, a Jewish life. But the question, the question that remains is, still in all, how could you say that being Jewish, leading a Jewish lifestyle, is something that's close to each and every Jew? Every Jew can develop an inner sense, an inner feeling for Yiddishkeit. If not emotionally, at least intellectually. But you can develop an inner feeling. You have an inner connection. You're not just doing it externally and superficially. The Pasuk says that not only is it close for each and every Jew to behave like a Jew, but also bilvavcha, to do it wholeheartedly. Your heart should be into it. You should want to do it. You should enjoy doing it. So how is it possible that each and every Jew is able to develop this? Firstly, you have to have a mind. Not everyone was born with a mind. And not everyone who was born with a mind is born with the ability to meditate and to focus and to concentrate. 
it takes time. There's no shortcuts. It takes time. First, you have to be knowledgeable. You have to be aware. You have to learn. You have to learn a lot. Then you have to take what you learn and digest it and internalize it and relate to it and focus on it and concentrate on it until you develop an inner feeling, an inner sense. So this is not something that comes naturally. Actually, probably only a few, a minority, only a few people have this ability. So how can the Torah say that Hashem is speaking to each and every Jew? That to be Jewish is something that's close to each and every Jew. Yes, if you are able to develop if you're able to learn, and you're able to focus, and you're able to concentrate, and you're able to develop an inner sense, then you can say yes. That to be Jewish is something that's close to each and every Jew. Each and every Jew could develop an awareness of Hashem. Each and every Jew could develop a feeling, a sensitivity for Hashem, for, for godliness. But that's if you have the time, the ability, and the inclination to actually sit and engage your mind and to study and to develop this sensitivity. But most people, unfortunately, don't either they don't have the knowledge, or they don't have the ability, or they don't have the zitzflesh, or they don't have the inclination. It's a rare individual who's going to do this. So the question remains, it begs the question, how can you say that to be Jewish, not just to go through the motions, externally, superficially, but to really do it with heart and soul, and to really have a feeling for it, and, and to do it wholeheartedly, is something that's close to each and every Jew. It's still, the Benini still seems like a rarefied individual. Someone who can really understand godliness, and focus on godliness, and appreciate godliness, and relate to godliness, and develop a feeling, at least a feeling towards having a feeling. I ought to have a feeling. Even to appreciate that I ought to feel godliness, and feel bad at you know, and build your life accordingly. This is a rare individual. How can the Torah say, how can Hashem expect of each and every Jew, Hashem expects each and every Jew to be perfect? Always think like a Jew, always speak like a Jew, and always act like a Jew, 24-7, under all circumstances, each and every one of us, without any exception. And in order to do this, you have to have some sort of inner, inner life. Otherwise, if you can't relate to godliness, you're not going to control yourself. Yes, when it comes to things that matter to you, of course you'll control yourself. But if you don't relate to godliness, it's so foreign and alien and abstract, then you're not going to be able to check your impulses. You're not going to be able to overcome your nature. You're not going to be able to um, consistently lead a Torah life, a Jewish life, 24-7. Overcome your nature. So how can Hashem expect this way of life of each and every Jew? And tell us, oh, it's no big deal. It's very close to you, individually, in the single sense. But, uh, and, and, and now he's going to ask, the Pasuk says even more so, now, not only does the Torah say it's close to you, the Torah says, it's very close to you. For emphasis, not just it's close to you, it's very, very close to you. Very, very close to you. I don't even understand how it's close to you, let alone very close to you. So with chapter 18, he's going to introduce a whole new understanding of this verse. To explain more clearly and more precisely the word very in the verse, for this thing is very near to you. 
The word very indicates that it is an extremely simple matter to serve God with one's heart, with love and fear of God. In the previous chapter, the Alter Eber explained that a love of God is readily attainable through meditation on God's greatness, whereby one can generate at least an intellectual love, tavuna. Yet it cannot be said of profound meditation that it is very near to you. Very, the emphasis on very. To say that profound meditation, it's necessary to, to develop an intellectual love for Hashem, so maybe you can say it's near to you, but to say it's very near to you? You're talking about a profound meditation. Learning, studying, meditating, reflecting. Tremendous effort. How can you say to each and every Jew that this is something that's very near to you? Profound meditation is not near to every Jew. To profoundly meditate is not very near to us. It's very difficult. And most people can't do it. They don't have the awareness. They don't have the ability. They don't have the zitzflesh. They don't have the inclination. To say that it's very, it's very near for each and every one to meditate profoundly? First, you have to have a clear understanding. of. Even if you learn, you have to have a clear understanding. How many people have clear understanding of things? It means you have to really, really invest your mind and really, really think about it very hard and very long and very deep and apply it personally. I mean, this is very profound stuff. It's very near to each and every one of us. It's not true. It's very difficult. It's not very near at all. It's very remote. Few individuals. Not everyone. And even those, to them, it's not very near. It's something they have to work on. Very hard. How can you say it's very near to each and every one of us? In order to understand this, continue. One should recognize with certainty that even the person who has only a limited understanding of God's greatness so that he lacks the materials necessary for meditation and he has no heart to comprehend the greatness of the blessed infinite God, his mind and heart are not suited to meditation, so that he lacks the tools of meditation. See, even a person who doesn't have, who has, who doesn't have the mind for it, doesn't have the mind for it, simply doesn't have the, his mind is not cut out to understand things deeply. And he doesn't have the heart to develop a sensitivity towards godliness. Can't relate to the whole subject now. You know, it's like, it's like trying to climb on a straight wall, a cliff, a sheer cliff. You know, most people, they just, you're talking about God, godliness, infinite, things that the mind can't grasp. So for most people, they just, they just can't begin, they don't even know how to begin to start discussing it, understanding it, relating to it, connecting to it, grasping it. In order for the mind to understand, you have to grasp them. Even when it comes to things, material things that we do understand, tangible things, how many people have the ability to truly grasp a concept? Whether it's in law, or whether it's in medicine, or whatever it is, to truly grasp a concept. It takes, it takes effort. It doesn't come naturally. Not everyone has the inclination, not everyone has the mind to grasp something crystal clear, to really understand something very well. How much more so when you're talking about godliness, God's greatness, Hashem is infinite. You're talking about things that are spiritual, godly, undefined, infinite. How can the finite mind even begin to grasp and to relate and to articulate and to talk about these things in a, in a meaningful way? So for such a person whose mind doesn't have the mind and doesn't have the heart, 
So he lacks the tools of meditation, continue. To produce through meditation a fear and love even in his mind and understanding alone, how much more so is he unable to produce a vibrant, fervent love and fear? Earlier he said that even someone who cannot produce a vibrant love and fear, but at least he can produce a cold love and fear in his mind. By having the clarity of mind, he can produce a sense that he ought to feel, but I don't, but I ought to feel. And that's strong enough to change him and to help him lead a Jewish lifestyle. But here, this individual, perhaps many individuals, if not most individuals, don't even have the ability to develop an intellectual appreciation and love that's, that's strong enough to actually alter their behavior, check their impulse, help them overcome their nature, make Hashem come alive for them, have an inner life, an inner sensitivity to God. They're simply not capable. And surely this is not something that's that's very close to it. Simply not true. So what does the verse mean then? Continue. Yet it is a very near thing for him to guard himself from transgressing the prohibitive commandments through a fear of God and to practice the positive commandments which require a love of God. These together comprising all the commandments of the Torah and in particular, the study of Torah which counterbalances them all. He can fulfill all this in his mouth and in his heart, in the true sense of heart, that is, not only in the superficial sense of the word heart, which means to say, in his thoughts, but in the true sense of with heart, namely, with feeling, from the depths of his heart, in absolute sincerity, with love and fear, as opposed to the Tavuna emotions, which cannot properly be called love and fear. They are so designated only insofar as they motivate one's actions. So he says, the Torah is telling us that each and every Jew, without exception, has the ability not only to keep the Torah and not transgress any prohibitions, and not only has the ability to actively fulfill all the positive commandments, and as he explained earlier in chapter 4, the way to do it is, as the Pasuk here says, to do it wholeheartedly. Because unless you do it wholeheartedly, you cannot sustain a Jewish life. If you're doing it with a sense of burden, a sense of just to fulfill your obligations, you can't sustain it. In order to sustain your Jewish way of life, you have to, it has to be done with love. It has to be done with a sense of awe. And that's the only thing that can really help you sustain this way of life day in, day out. And the Torah is telling us that each and every Jew has the ability, has this deep love, wholehearted love for Hashem, from the depth of your heart, which is even greater than what he described earlier. Because what he was describing earlier in chapter 16 and 17, in the last two chapters, he was describing a cold love, a love that doesn't grip your heart, a love that it's just a feeling towards a feeling, a feeling about a feeling, a cold emotional intellectual love that I ought to feel. I don't feel, but I should feel. I should be feeling. It's the right thing to feel even though I don't feel it. So you can't say that you feel it in the depth of your heart. You don't feel anything in your heart. But here the Torah is saying that each and every Jew is able to feel godliness in the depth of his heart with a genuine love for Hashem and a genuine awe of Hashem. With, the, with every fiber of your being from the very depth of your being, the very depth of your heart. How is this possible? If it doesn't come through meditation, 
Because even when the Jew meditates, he doesn't have the ability to develop from the depth of your heart, a feeling from the depth of your heart. And here we're talking about Jews who don't even have the ability to develop that. Don't even have the ability to develop a cold intellectual type of love that leads a person to Torah and Mitzvah. And yet the Torah is saying that each and every Jew could feel in the depth of the heart, could feel wholeheartedly a love for Hashem, an awe of Hashem, and that will motivate them to learn Torah and do Mitzvahs and lead a Jewish life. How is that possible? The love and fear of which the Alter Rebbe Manal speak are emotions in the fullest sense of the word. But how can one acquire a true love and fear of God if he is incapable of meditation? In answer, the author continues, This is the hidden love present in the heart of all Jews, which is an inheritance to us from our patriarchs. Since every Jew already possesses this love as an inheritance, he need not create it through meditation. All that is required of him is that he arouse it and implement it in his observance of the mitzvot. In order to explain how one goes about doing so, the author first discusses the characteristics of this love. This is the answer. Here, the Alter Rebbe is talking about a whole different type of love. The verse is referring to a whole different type of love. It's a love that's hidden. It's a natural love that's innate, inherent, that's hidden deep down in the heart of each and every Jew. And it's genuine and sincere and wholehearted with every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. Therefore, we can understand what the verse means that being Jewish and leading a Jewish life and together with the wholehearted love which motivates that lifestyle is something that's near and dear to each and every Jew. Because were you to, were you to create a love, to create a love, you can't say it's very near to each and every Jew. It's very near, it's not very near, it's very difficult. To create a love, to manufacture a love takes tremendous effort. You have to learn. Then you have to grasp what you learn. You've already lost half of your audience. And then you have to take that that you've grasped and you have to meditate on it and focus on it. Now you're left with a handful. And then you have to relate to it and connect to it and at least develop a feeling. I ought to feel something even though I can't manage to develop a real emotion. But that's not something that's very near and dear to you. It's created. It's manufactured. It takes tremendous effort. But here we're talking about not creating anything. You don't have to create anything. The love is there. All you have to do is to reveal it. To reveal it, that's easy. Easier. No one says, Torah doesn't mean it's a piece of cake. <laughs> that's not what Judaism is about. We learned in chapter 15. Judaism is about effort. And, but it's doable. Every single Jew is accessible to each and every Jew. Every single Jew has the ability to reveal something that's already there. If you have to create it as one thing, you don't have to create it. You just have to reveal what's already there. Just to reveal, that's close to each and every Jew, very close. Now he's going to explain this at great length. But we must first preface a clear and precise explanation of the origin of this love. That is, which level of the soul it stems from and its character. That is, what sort of striving this love constitutes. There is a love of God which seeks a unity with God while still remaining a separate entity, a soul clothed in a body. There's another kind of love which is a yearning for self-extinction and so forth. What drive is contained in this love which is our inheritance? Also, how did this love become our inheritance? How does one inherit a love? And how is fear also incorporated in it? 
For as stated previously, observance of the prohibitive commandments requires a fear of God. Therefore, the statement that the hidden love in every Jew will lead him to observe all the commandments implies that this love also contains an element of awe. So he's asking four questions. Number one, what's the root? What's the source of this love? Where does it come from? Which it's rooted in what part of the soul? Number two, what is the what is this love aspiring? You love. What do you want? What's this love aspiring to? What does it want? What's it looking for? Number three, how do you inherit this love? And number four, the Torah says that to be Jewish, to fulfill all 613, to be a perfect Jew, to do everything you have to do in thought, speech, and action, meaning both the positive mitzvah, the active mitzvah, the do's, as well as the don'ts, the prohibited prohibitions. It says, how is it possible if the, every Jew is born with a hidden love, so that explains why a Jew can just has to, to reveal that love, and therefore that will motivate him to do the positive mitzvah. But what's going to help a Jew with the prohibitions? How is the awe of God included in, in that natural love that each and every Jew has for Hashem? And in this chapter, in the next chapter, he's going to answer all four aspects. But first he begins with a question that he asked, how do you inherit this love? How do you inherit this love? This is a very profound question. How does a Jew inherit your Judaism? We are the only people in the world that are biological. We are Jewish because we are the biological descendants of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leib. How do you inherit religion? The Christians are not the biological children of the original Christians, or the Muslims, or the Buddhists, or... How do you inherit religion? Yes, you may inherit certain characteristic traits. If your parent is kind, probably the children will also have the same characteristic traits. More, more likely than not. But it doesn't mean that if you, you're going to love the same people your parents love. If you have, if you have a taste in music, because your parents had a taste in music, you're going to love the same music that they listen to. <laughs> They're antiquated. You can't relate to their music. And each generation can't relate to the previous generation's music. So, just because Avram Avinu had a love affair with Hashem, as Yeshaya, Isaiah, the prophet says, in the name of Hashem, Avram Ayavi, Hashem says, Avram is my lover. Just because Avram Avinu had a love affair with Hashem, that means automatically we all love Hashem. Any child of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is automatically a lover of Hashem. So, how do you inherit this love? Just because Avram loved Hashem? He was in love with Hashem. That means automatically all of his children to the end of time, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, a Jew <coughs> inherits this natural love, this love for Hashem. It makes no sense. And inheritance is not automatic. Many times parents have talent and abilities and they skip a generation or two or three. <laughs> they show up. One of the great-grandchildren, show, you know, the talent shows up, appears. It's not automatically. A genius is transmitted or talent is transmitted. So how do we inherit, automatically inherit, 
Avraham Avinu is love affair with Hashem. So the whole Judaism makes no sense. Just because I'm born to Jew, Jewish, my mother is Jewish, means automatically I, I'm a Jew and have the same connection and relationship, this natural love for Hashem. What do you think? Good question. We're part of Hashem. What? Our part of Hashem. Right? When you say biological, you mean genes. Yeah, no, yeah, the physical children. Yeah, we are the children of Hashem. Right? Saying we're a piece of Hashem. But the question is, why is it automatically that any child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Ruth, Ruch, and Leah, they, they get this piece of Hashem? Why is, why is that something that happens automatically? That's a good question. Oh. <laughs> okay. But that was a good, a, good, a good attempt, good answer. And this is what Al-Tarev is going to answer. The explanation is as follows. The patriarchs were truly the chariot of God. That is, they were completely subservient to him and had no other will but the divine will, just as a chariot has no will of its own, but is directed solely by the will of the rider. The answer is that the patriarchs, it's not that they had a love for Hashem. As the, the sages say, they were the chariots of Hashem. It says Hashem lifted himself up from them. Like they were his chariots. Just like the angels are Hashem's chariots and they carry the Kisiyakave, they carry the throne of glory. So too, the patriarchs became the chariots of Hashem. What's the meaning of a chariot? A chariot's connection to the owner is even deeper, more profound than even the horse's connection to the rider. Because the horse has a mind of its own, a life of its own. But it's obedient to the rider. The chariot has no mind of its own. No agenda, no ego. You don't have to wrestle with the chariot. Okay, go here, go here. You drive a car, whatever. It's put it in your hand. Wherever you want to go, it goes. It has no will of its own, has no agenda of its own. It becomes an extension of you. Wherever you want to go, it goes. It's totally, completely nullified. Egoless. And that was true of Avram. Patriarch. Avram, Yisak, and Yak, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah became egoless, were egoless. They had no agendas of their own. Their entire being, their entire essence became godly. They were chariot to God. They became like an extension to God. Like the body is to the soul. The body is egoless. The body has no agenda of its own. The body is whatever the soul wants, that's what the body does. You want to lift your hand, your hand lifts. Your hand once has its own agenda, and your hand obeys your body, the soul. The body isn't, you don't even feel your body. A healthy person doesn't even feel your body. Your body is as if it's not there. The body is just an extension of the soul, whatever the soul wants. It's, 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 it's one with the soul, inseparable from the soul. So too, the patriarchs became one and inseparable from the soul. Therefore, their connection to Hashem touched the very core, the very essence. It became their whole being. Not just they had a love affair with Hashem, they loved Hashem. They were religious. Much deeper than that. Their whole being, their, was, their core was transformed. And therefore, it's not that we inherited 
a love to Hashem from Avram and from the patriarchs. We inherited a soul, a Jewish soul, because it became their whole being. And because we have a Jewish soul, that's why the Jewish soul loves Hashem and the Jewish soul understands Hashem and the Jewish soul, all its energies and all its faculties is focused on godliness. It responds to godliness. Its mind responds to godly comprehension. Its heart responds to godly emotions. Because we have a soul. It's not just the detail. We love Hashem. Their whole being, their being became godly. They became part of Hashem. Just like the chariot, in a sense, is almost part of the rider. It's inseparable from the rider. They became inseparable from Hashem. And therefore they became part of Hashem, so to speak. So their whole being became godly. And therefore, since the being became godly, that's why we inherit a Jewish soul. Automatically. Every child, every biological descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, to the end of time, will always inherit a Jewish soul. What makes us Jewish is we have a Jewish neshama, a holy neshama, a godly soul. A peace, like you said, a peace of the divine essence. That explains why every Jew inherits automatically, biologically, if your mother is Jewish. You automatically inherit that essence, that soul. And just like a person will never give birth to a monkey. Why not? You may give birth to someone who may act like one. But you'll never give birth to a monkey. Why not? Because being human is not a detail. It's not an aspect. It's your, it's your essence. You didn't acquire your, your humanness. You didn't go to school. It's not like a suit you, you put on, you take off. Everything in life is arbitrary. Even religion, convictions. You're, probably, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat. It's interchangeable. A Democrat could turn into a Republican. A Republican could turn into a Democrat. A religious person could turn into an atheist. An atheist could turn into a... Ultimately, it's external. It's acquired. You can take it on, you can take it off. But your humanity, your humanness is not acquired. It's your essence. It's who you are. You're human. You're not an animal. And that's why that's something that will be transmitted for a thousand generations. Even if you'll have this thousand generations of descendants, not a single one will turn out to be a monkey. Because it's your essence. Your essence, that's what you transmit. And that's what forever and ever will always be transmitted from one generation to the next. The same is with Avram, Yiddishkeit, which begins with Avram and the patriarchs. Yiddishkeit is not religion. Religion cannot be transmitted biologically. You can't inherit religion. The Christians today are not the biological children of the, of the original Christians, or, or with, nor with any religion. Religion cannot be inherited. It's like belonging to a party, belonging to a certain belief system. That's not Judaism. Judaism is not religion. Judaism is much deeper than religion. Judaism is about having a Jewish soul. You have a Jewish soul. It's your core, it's your essence. Since godliness became part of the patriarch's essence, Avram's essence, and Yitzhak's essence, and Yaakov's essence, Sarah, Rukh, Rachel, and Leah, they were, the, they were the chariot of Hashem. Their whole core, their whole being became godly, inseparable from Hashem, egoless, 24-7. Therefore, automatically, since godliness became their essence, automatically all of their children, even for a thousand generations, every single one will be 100% Jewish, will be born with a Jewish soul. That's why we inherit our Jewishness. That's how we inherit our Jewishness. Biologically inherit our Jewishness. 
Does that answer the question? Okay, let's... Okay. But so, I'm thinking of converts. What? Oh. Along the line, there were... Like my father-in-law. So where, how did they get the inheritance? Adin Steinzel says, Alter Rebbe once said, that no Gentile ever converted. What that means is, that if they're a genuine convert, it means that all along they must have had a godly spark, a Jewish spark. Somewhere inside their essence, they must have had a Jewish spark. And it emerged when they converted. Because otherwise, how do you become a convert? How do you join the family? It's biological. It's how do you, either you are or you aren't. You can't turn an apple into an orange or an orange into an apple. Yeah, if it's biological, it can't be, you can't do it with right. learning or medicine right. or anything. Right. You can sprinkle water from today till tomorrow. You can't, uh, just like you can sprinkle the orange and turn it into an apple, you sprinkle the Jew and turn him into a non-Jew. It doesn't work. If his essence is, is Jewish, it's impossible. How can you... And that's what the Talmud says, Gershon is Gaia. That a convert is someone that already must have had a spark even before he converted, which is what leads him to convert. That's what prompts him to convert, although he plays obstacles in his path, and he has no ulterior motives to be being Jewish. And yet he overcomes all those obstacles. Something inside of him urges an inner urge that compels him to become Jewish. That proves that all along... He had some spark. Because it says when Hashem went to all the nations of the world, Hashem went around to all the nations in the world asking them, do you want to receive the Torah? And He went to all the nations. And they asked, what does it say in the Torah? That thou shalt not murder, it's not a Torah for us. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You just use your imagination. Which nation He asked that? And He said, that's not for us. And uh, thou shalt not steal, etc., but how about the individuals of those nations who said yes? There must have been a few individuals that said yes. So they, those individuals are the ones who converted. Their descendants, they converted. So they must have had some spark, some connection all along. Some godly connection. And that's why eventually they found their way back to the Jewish people. But other than that, you would be right, you would be correct. How, do you, how can you convert? How can you, trans, just like you can't convert an apple to an orange, an orange to an apple, how do you convert? The whole conversion makes no sense. People think that conversion is just, uh, it's not, like, not like becoming an American citizen. Yeah, I convert to Judaism. I eat latkes. I like bagel and lox. I'll even go to temple once in a while. How do you convert? It's not like becoming an American citizen. It's arbitrary. Japanese, American. You become an American, you become an American. Being Jewish is not, it's not arbitrary. It's a core transformation. It's your core, it's your essence. You have a Jewish soul, you don't have a Jewish soul. You can't pretend either yes or not. So how could there be any conversion? If you understand, how could there be any conversion? If you understand, what, first you have to understand what being Jewish is. If you understand what being Jewish is, being Jewish is you have a Jewish soul. Being Jewish is not belonging to a party. It's not external, superficial. It's not religion. It's something much deeper. It's your core and your essence. If you understand what being Jewish is, that being Jewish means you have a Jewish soul, 
then you understand that how could there be any conversion? The whole conversion is question. How could there be any conversion? Unless, if it's a genuine convert, like Ruth, we're going to read about it in Truth, or Yisrael, the name of the giving of the Torah, the partial giving of the Torah, a genuine convert, and then it shows that all along they had a godly spark inside of their core and rest. And it emerged when they go through the proper halachic conversion, then miraculously, by divine, there's a divine transformation and a revelation, and that spark emerges. And they become like newly born, and they acquire a true soul. So perhaps, perhaps we're not even arguing. Because those who believe in all these fictitious conversions, the question is, what are they converting them to? If you have no understanding, what, if you think being Jewish is, means being religious, being like an American citizen, yes, why, why can't you convert? Why not? So the, the, what they're converting them to, it's a good conversion. But that's not, that's nothing to do with, with being Jewish. If you understand what being Jewish is, then how could they be converted? Period. And it can only be conversion if it's done properly, which proves to us that this person all along has a godly spark, a Jewish spark. Okay, continue. Therefore, therefore, they merited the privilege of drawing down for all subsequent generations of their descendants forever a nefesh, ruach, and neshama from the ten holy sephirot of the four worlds of Atzilut, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. In which of the four worlds and from which sephira within these worlds does a soul originate, each individual according to his level and according to his deeds? His level refers to the level of the root of his soul. His deeds refers to one's efforts towards refining himself. As the Zohar states, when one betters himself, he is given a higher order of soul. So you have different levels, different levels. How the soul expresses itself. You have um, souls that come from the world of emanation. You have souls that come from the world of creation. You have souls that emanation is the godly world. The world of creation is the intellectual world, pure, raw intellect. The world of formation is the world of emotions, full-blown emotion. And then the world of action. So depending on the root of your soul, that's how your soul manifests itself. There are souls that are people of action, down to earth people of action. They don't have any deep, deep emotions and they don't have, surely don't have any deep, deep insights or deep, profound intellectual clarity. Then you have souls who have very deep emotions, passionate emotions. And then you have souls who have very, very deep insights and profound understanding and clarity. And then you have souls that are divine and godly. So these differences depend on the level, the root of your soul. The essence of the soul is the same. All Jews share their Jewishness. What makes us all Jewish is we have a Jewish soul. And we have a godly soul. And in that sense, we're all equal. And we all count as one. This week's Torah portion. Start reading the Book of Counting. Because all Jews count as one, not more, not less. Moshe is one, and the simplest Jew is one. Because at our core, at our essence, our Jewish soul, that we all share. Our Jewishness is something we all share. 
But the, what differentiates us is at the different levels. You have souls that are the eyes, the brains, you have souls that are the, the heart, and you have souls that are different levels. The expressions of the soul. And that depends on the root of your soul, and it also depends on your actions. Because even a person who, on a revealed conscious level, is only, let's say, a soul of action, doesn't have any deep emotions, but through Torah and mitzvah, studying a lot of Torah, and doing many mitzvah, and through refining yourself, and through self-sacrifice, you can merit, you can climb the ladder, you can merit that a deeper level of your soul should reveal itself in your life. And suddenly, now you have a whole rich inner life of emotions that perhaps you didn't feel before. And if you continue to advance and continue to grow, you can develop a mind. Suddenly your mind opens up and you start to grasp and to sense and to comprehend very, very deeply, understand godly concepts and relate to it and, and get excited about it. So, and you keep on advancing. So a lot of it depends on your actions. So firstly, it depends on the root, the root that you're born with, the cards that you're given. And then, a lot of it depends on yourself. If you refine yourself and you do a lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvahs, you can, you can elevate yourself and you can go from one level to the next. But these are all levels and variations. But at any rate, the bottom line is, continue. At any rate, even the unworthiest, most sinful Jews draw down by their marital union a nefesh from the level of nefesh of malchud asiya, the attribute of royalty in the world of action. He says, even the unworthiest Jew, the unworthiest of our people, unworthy, kal shabakalim. Kal shabakalim means someone who literally feels unworthy. Don't forget, people act out. People do things that are self-destructive, ultimately because they really feel a sense of worthlessness. If you have a healthy sense of self-worth, you don't take something precious and destroy it with your own hands, right? You don't take uh, gold and just throw it out, treat it like garbage. Why would a person act, treat his own life like garbage and, 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 and just destroy with his own hands everything that's precious to him? Because his own life has, has no value. He doesn't feel the preciousness of his own life. So if you feel worthless inside, so, so there's nothing worth preserving. So what do I care? I'll treat everyone else around me like dirt also because I myself, I treat myself like dirt. I don't have any healthy esteem, self-esteem, a healthy sense of self or healthy sense of worth. Not in an egotistical way, but the fact that Hashem created me, Hashem gave me an Hashem, something that's precious, that has value, that's worth of something. So you have to have a sense of worth because Hashem, you have a, you have a divine spark inside of you. So a Jew has no sense of worth. And therefore, they abuse themselves. Like, which person would become, example, which person would become a prostitute? I mean, a person who has no sense of worth. I mean, who, would, who would expose themselves to something like that? Only a person who has no sense of worth. So, so I don't care. I have no value. It's a real deep inner depression, really. Because that's really what it's about. You really have no sense of worth. Many times the person doesn't realize it himself. But that's really what's going on. That's a kaol shabakalim. A person who's worth, worthless. He doesn't value anything. Nothing is precious. Nothing has value. Nothing means anything. 
and he tramples on any, and anything and everything, destroying everything, and, and self, self-destruct. That's Kal Shabakalim. Then he says, the most sinful Jew, a sinful Jew is not necessarily, it's not necessarily the same person. A sinful Jew is someone who acts intentionally, intentionally, in spite. He couldn't care less about Jewish things or godly things. And in spite, he does things to anger Hashem. And it's very possible that this person could actually have a very lofty soul. But he has very deep needs. Because he's such a great soul, intense soul, he has very great needs. And if he doesn't find those needs answered, for whatever reason, then he lashes out and he turns negative. So, either of these two Jews, even to these Jews, their parents draw down for them the lowest level of nefesh, the nefesh, the malchus, the asiyah. He said earlier there are four worlds. The world of emanation, Atzillas, the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of actions. The world of action is the lowest of all the worlds. You're talking about a soul that's rooted in the world of action. Within the world of action itself, there are ten svirot, there are ten levels from wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and love, and strength, and, and, and compassion, and netzah, till malchus, the lowest level. So with the lowest level within this world, the fourth world is the lowest level of malchus. Now, in Malchus itself, you have three different levels. Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. So it's Nefesh, the lowest level. And each of these three levels also contains three levels within them. So within Nefesh itself, it's not Neshama Sheva Nefesh, it's Nefesh Sheva Nefesh. The lowest possible level, the lowest rank. You can't get any lower than that. He's rooted in the lowest, lowest, lowest level. This is a soul who has no sensitivity to anything spiritual, has no sensitivity to anything inner, anything refined. It's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest level. Continue. This means to say that the union of every Jewish couple, no matter how low their spiritual level, brings forth a soul from, at the very least, the lowest level of holiness. This lowest level is Nefesh de Malchut de Asiya. For Asiya, is the lowest of the four worlds. Malchut is the lowest sephira within that world. Malchut itself is further composed of three levels, nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Nefesh being the lowest of the three. In addition, as we have seen in the previous chapters, the soul itself consists of the three levels of nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Thus, one who has been given only a nefesh which stems from nefesh de malchut d'asiyah has the lowest order of soul deriving from the lowest level in the spiritual hierarchy, as the Alter Rebbe now goes on to say. This is the lowest level of holiness in the world of Asiya. Yet, since Malchut is one of the ten holy Sephirot, and since holiness in the realm of unity, where every level is comprised of all the other levels, that's the nature of holiness. The nature of holiness is that each one is compounded by the other, each one is included in the other. Because there's a flexibility. In ego, everyone is rigid. Every, every attribute is rigid. So you can't mix the two. But in holiness, there's flexibility. Every attribute has a flexibility. You can learn from the other. You can borrow from the other. It has a flexibility. It's not so rigid. It's not so egotistical. So every quality in holiness contains within it all, the other, all of the other. 
of all the other qualities. So the lowest level, Nefesh, the Nefesh, the Malchus, the Asiyah, the lowest level contains within it all of the other levels, including the highest level, which is Chachma, the Atzilus, the wisdom, and the highest level of wisdom, divine wisdom. Because even the lowest level is part of holiness. It's the lowest level within holiness. But it's holiness. So it's all connected. In holiness, everything is connected. Everything is included in the other. The lowest level of Asiya is compounded of all the other levels in Asiya, including Chochmah da Asiya, wisdom in the world of action, the highest Sephira in Asiya. Within Chochmah da Asiya is clothed Chochmah de Malchut da Atzilut, wisdom of royalty in the world of emanation. As the author explains in chapter 52, the Sephira of Malchut da Atzilut clothes itself in and illuminates the world of Asiya. Since Malchut Atzilut contains all the Sephirot of Atzilut, the illumination of Asiya by Malchut thus means that each Sephira of Atzilut, as it is contained in Malchut Atzilut, garbs itself in the corresponding Sephira of Asiya. Chochma de Malchut Atzilut in Chochma de Asiya, Bina de Malchut Atzilut in Bina de Asiya, and so forth. The idea of Malchus, Malchus is the communicator. Malchus communicates. Just like speech. When you speak, you communicate everything, you convey everything that's going on inside of you, your emotions, your feelings, your, your, your understanding, your grasp, your concepts. You communicate. It's a vehicle to transmit from to a spiritual way of transportation, from transport from inside to someone outside of you, to communicate what's going on inside of you. So Malchus communicates everything that's going on within the world of Atzillus, and communicates it to the other worlds. So the Chachma of Malchus is really contains within it Chachma of Atzillus, the highest level, the wisdom, which is the beginning of consciousness and the highest level of the, the divine emanation, the world of divine emanation. It contains it within it, communicates it to Chachma of Asiya, the action, which is included in Asiya da Asiya, Malchus da Asiya lowest level of action. So therefore, ultimately, the highest level is included, is found within the lowest level. It includes everything. It has everything inside of it. Okay. In Chochmah de Malchut Atzilut is clothed Chochmah de Atzilut, since all the Sephirot of Atzilut incorporate each other, which in turn is illuminated by the actual light of the blessed Ein Sof. So Chachma, that's is the wisdom of the divine world of emanation, contains within it the infinite light, the Oren Saf. And then Malchus, that's Silas, contains within it, since all the Svirot are all compounded from each other, so Malchus contains within it also Chachma of Atzilus, which contains in it the infinite light. So the infinite light is contained in Malchus. And when Malchus conveys and communicates everything, the content of Malchus, which is the Sfirot of Atzillus, when it, contain, it conveys, it communicates, it also conveys and communicates the content, which is the world of Atzillus, and also what's contained within Atzillus, which is the infinite light, which is contained in Chachmat Atzillus. So all of that is conveyed and communicated to the ultimate communication, different levels of communication, till it communicates and translates into Malchus Dasiya, 
which is action, the world of action. So the world of action, the soul that's rooted in Malchus Dasiya, that low-level soul that comes from the lowest level of holiness, a soul that's only connected to action. It's not connected to any emotion, it's not connected to any intellect. But nevertheless, it contains within itself, it contains within itself the infinite light. It contains within itself the Chachmah Datzilus, which is a vehicle, a vehicle, a vessel for the infinite light. So that soul contains within it the infinite light. That soul that's rooted in the lowest level of holiness contains within it the infinite light. Godliness. Shem. Continue, as it is written. As it's written, God in his wisdom founded the earth. The words God in his wisdom show that the light of the Ein Sof illuminates the sphere of Chochmah, while the words wisdom founded the earth indicate that Chochmah is clothed in Malchut, which is called earth. For like the earth, Malchut is the lowest level in its hierarchy. And it is further written, in wisdom you have made them all. The word made indicating that Chochmah is clothed in Asiya, action. Thus we see that the light of the blessed Ein Sof is garbed in the faculty of wisdom in the human soul, of whatever sort of a Jew he may be. Further in the chapter, the Alter Eber explains why it is a faculty of wisdom in the soul that receives the illumination of the Ein Sof. So every Jew has within them a level of wisdom. And this wisdom has the divine inside it. So there's a divine wisdom within each and every Jew. The wisdom to know Hashem. So every Jew has this wisdom. Every Jew is wise. Talmud Chachm. Every Jew has wisdom. The wisdom within their soul, since they have a Jewish soul, a holy soul, a godly soul, even a soul that's rooted in the lowest level, but nevertheless it's a divine soul. And that divine soul has wisdom. And that wisdom, it knows Hashem. With that wisdom, the soul knows Hashem. It's wise it knows Hashem. Okay. In turn, the soul's faculty of wisdom, together with the light of the blessed Ein Sof that is garbed in it, suffuses all the levels of the soul in its entirety, from head to foot, as it were. That is, from the highest level of the soul to the lowest, to animate them with godly vitality. As it's written, wisdom gives life to those who possess it, the soul, which possesses the faculty of wisdom, receives its life by means of this faculty, as stated above. And this wisdom doesn't remain apart from the soul. The wisdom is what gives life to the soul. Because wisdom is the first faculty of consciousness, creativity, wisdom. And it animates the whole soul. So since every Jewish soul it's, has a level of wisdom, which is divine wisdom, and that divine wisdom animates and gives life to the entire soul. So every Jew contains within themselves the divine light, the infinite light. So every Jew is holy. Every Jew has a holy soul that's suffused with the divine light, with the infinite light, which makes contact with the soul through the faculty of wisdom. And the faculty of wisdom, in turn, animates the whole soul. So it affects the whole entire soul. Because wisdom is compared to oil. And the nature of oil is you find oil in everything. Today they're squeezing oil out of, out of everything. Um, you know, corn. 
you know, you can crush anything, you can find oil, because oil permeates everything. That's the nature of oil. The nature of wisdom is it permeates everything. So the wisdom of the soul permeates the entire soul, and therefore, since the divine light is found within the wisdom of the divine, of the divine soul, it permeates the, the Jew's entire soul. So the entire soul is suffused with Hashem's infinite light, with Hashem's infinite presence. So every Jew has that holiness. Every Jew has a holy spark. Every Jew has that pintaliyad. Every Jew has that, that wisdom, that divine awareness, that knowledge of the divine. Awareness of the divine. And it's inherent, innate. We're born with it. Not something we have to struggle for, something we have to earn, or something we have to acquire. It's there. The moment you're born, it's there. Like the story with the, uh, the great, the great Rebbe, his father passed away, and his son was very young. And uh, the older Hasidim felt he's too young, he's not ripe, he's not mature enough to take over such an illustrious dynasty. They felt that one of the older Hasidim, who has the maturity and the wisdom, he has to take over. And um, they didn't know what to do. So they decided to ask, ask the son. So the son told, told them. They gave him a parable. He said that the king decided whoever climbs this mountain is going to you know, is going to be the next leader. Anyway, it takes years and years to climb. It's an insurmountable mountain impossible to climb. Finally, after years and years, finally someone makes it to the top of the mountain. Then he's shocked. He sees a little boy playing on top of the mountain. He says, I don't understand. We're the world's experts. We barely made it to the top of the mountain. You're a little kid. How did you do it? He says, I was born there. <laughs> so he was born to the Rebbe, so, and he became the next Rebbe. Um, a Jew is born there. You're born on top of the mountain. Not because of any effort that we've exerted or because of any great meditation, reflection, on this profound understanding, philosophy, spirituality. It's, it's, we're just born. We're born on top of the mountain. We're born without wisdom, divine wisdom, which contains within it the infinite light, which suffuses our whole being. Our entire soul animates our entire soul. So every Jew has a feeling, a sense, a wisdom, a knowledge, an understanding, a, for, for God. At times, the sinners of Israel may even bring down for their children very lofty souls, which had been in the depths of the Klippot, as is explained in Sefer Gilgulim. In Sefer Gilgulim, that there are certain souls, of whatever reason, were, are given over to the Klippot, the forces, the negative forces, the forces of impurity. And Hashem doesn't force them to relinquish these souls. It's up to them when to relinquish these souls. Hashem leaves it up to them. Now, they're very hesitant. They're not interested in having such a lofty soul be born to a tzaddik. That's all they need. <laughs> they don't want to lose the soul. So what do they do? They release the souls that these souls should be born to parents who are, like he described earlier, worthless uh, or, or who intentionally, um, intentionally rebel against God. And they willingly release the souls under the, such circumstances because they figure, to, they figure 
probably with such an upbringing and with such a coarse introduction into this world, because you can just imagine what the parents were thinking when the child was conceived, and more than likely that this soul will remain trapped and will belong to us, will not belong to holiness. And therefore, when such a lofty soul sins or doesn't do the right thing, it gives tremendous energy to the klipa. That explains why we can't think of a loftier neshama than Mashiach. And yet, look at the origin of Mashiach's neshama. It comes from Yehuda and Tamar, from the messy affair. Light, Ruth, light, incest. Because the klipa has no problem with releasing holy neshamas under such circumstances. It's like putting a diamond in a garbage dump, you know. But occasionally, the neshama overcomes his negative environment and is able to break free and break his chain and is able to become a great tzaddik. So sometimes you find children of very low stature, very, come from very humble beginnings and even negative beginnings, turn out to be the greatest tzaddik because really they have very high souls that are totally not, not in proportion to their parents. Because the, the Klippas intentionally released their soul under such circumstances and gave these parents a gem, thinking that this gem will remain in the dump. And therefore, every time a lofty soul sins or does something negative, he just adds energy to the Klippa. Because where do they live from? They, don't live, they only live from us. They're like parasites. They're leeches. They blood suckers. They suck our blood when a Jew doesn't behave properly. When a Jew doesn't do the right thing, we give them energy. If we do the right thing, there would be no room for klipa in this world. There would be no room for anything negative. If Adam wouldn't have sinned, there would never have been, this world would, would, would remain a garden of Eden. They feed off us. We give them strength. And the loftier the soul, the more strength it gives them. When a lofty soul does something negative, it gives them tremendous energy, tremendous strength. So they have no interest in, in, in changing that. So they do everything. They stack the cards in their favor and do everything to make sure that this lofty soul will not escape the grip of the klipa. And therefore, they, they'll release the soul to very unworthy parents. And that's why this explains this phenomenon, that out of this very humble beginnings, where you would never expect it, and suddenly, once in a while, the soul is able to muster the strength and is able to shine and become a true tzaddik. But we see that every Jew has a holy soul. And we never know exactly where, what the root of the soul is. Sometimes, and even the parents may have very little to do with it. Because here you see a lofty soul that comes to the most unworthy of parents. Not because of anything the parents did. On the contrary, because the Kalipa who are in charge of this soul, made sure that this soul should come under such unfavorable circumstances. But this is a lofty soul, a holy soul. And they turn out to be tzaddikim. They turn out to become very godly. So you see that the essence of a Jew is really holy, is really godly. And even when they are born into very unfavorable circumstances, and all the odds are against them, nevertheless, they have the ability to turn their life around and to become truly godly. Because this comes from the wisdom the level of wisdom that each and every Jew has, 
Jew has a level of wisdom that contains within it the divine, the infinite light, an awareness of Hashem, which permeates and suffuses their entire being. So till now, he just answered the question how every Jew inherits their Jewishness, how every Jew inherits their love for Hashem, because every Jew inherits the divine soul, the Jewish soul that we inherit from the patriarchs who are chariots to Hashem. And this is the level of the divine wisdom. And uh, next week, he'll start answering the other three questions. What is the purpose of, what is the aspiration of this love? How does this love contain also awe of God? And he basically just answered the other question. He says, where is this rooted in the soul? He says, it's rooted in the level of wisdom in the soul. Next time we learn in two weeks, he'll explain at great length what this level of wisdom means, what this level of wisdom within the soul is really all about, and why this level of wisdom contains within it the infinite light and awareness of Hashem. Uh, to be continued, as the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, would always wish before the giving of the Torah that we should receive the Torah, the Simcha, with joy, ubipnimius, internally. Especially Shavuos. Shavuos is the day of Moshe, he gave the Torah. It's also the day of David Amel. David Amel passed away in Shavuos. It's also the day of the Bashamta. The Bashamta passed away in Shavuos. And the Tanya is all based on the Bashamta, the teachings of Hasidus, the wellsprings of the Bashamta. So this is a very special, special way to prepare for Shavuos by uh, studying the Tanya. And uh, in general, we should receive the entire Torah, the Simcha, with joy, with Nimias, and we should merit to see and to hear the Torah Chadosh of Mititetze, which is here, Torah from Hashem Himself, with the coming of Mashiach. And the next, you won't have to have a picture of the Alter Rebbe, you'll have the Alter Rebbe Himself <laughs> teaching the Tanya. Chag <laughs> Sameach.